So Money episode 626, Ask Farnoosh with special co-host Naomi Hathaway. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. Welcome to So Money, everyone. It's Friday, September 15th, 2017. Welcome to the show. Welcome to our Friday Ask Farnoosh Bonanza. Many, many questions to tackle this week, this day. Um, I was so delighted to come back from vacation and see literally hundreds of questions from you all. For those of you who were on my email list, I sent out a quick frightened email before vacation saying, I'm going away. I need questions from you all because we're running a deficit actually for once in the mailbag. And because I was taking a two-week hiatus, I was worried that I was going to fall behind and I'll have enough content enough questions and everybody really immediately hit the reply button and sent me some incredible questions. So thank you to everybody who did that and made my week, made my vacation basically, uh, helped, helped my vacation at least be less stressful. And, you know, if you're not on the email list, I encourage you to join us at the So Money online community. You usually get a weekly email from me. Um, it's usually helpful. And sometimes uh, there are freebies. Sometimes there are things you'll learn about before anybody else. So it's a really fun uh, ride. And I promise not to bombard your inbox. I'm pretty light with the emails, but would love to have you join us there if you haven't yet. And that's just going to somoneypodcast.com and signing up. Very excited too that today we have uh, a, a listener who's been a fan of the show for a while. She's a mom. She's uh, financially savvy. She's here. Her name is Naomi Hadaway, and I'm really delighted to bring you onto the show, Naomi. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, absolutely, Farnoosh. This is a real fun thing. Um, and I, like you said, I have been a fan for a long time and soak up all of what you uh, bring us and, and the guests as well. Thank you. So I'm, I'm curious, you know, in addition to listening to the podcast, what else do you consume? What's your, what are your go-to money resources? Um, so I obviously am a so many, um, podcast listener. Um, I also was a huge fan of your follow the leader show. That was really fantastic. Um, I really look towards, um, and I think I actually learned about them from you, um, the elevate network and, um, Elevest, um, as one of my, places that I go to learn more about investing and then just also put that into practice. Um, I started investing with Elevest a couple of months ago and it's been fantastic. I'm also a huge fan of David Bach and Smart Women Finish Rich. Those are probably my my three go-tos. Well, we're all big fans of Sally Krawcheck here and her platform, Elevate and Elevest. And I'm happy to learn that that is working out for you. Tell us a little bit about yourself. You know, like uh, I know that you're a mom of three kids from between ages of like 20 something to 11. You're, you're a young mom. Tell us more about you and, and what brings you to this co-hosting situation. I mean, like you could, not everyone asks to co-host, you know, right. what drove well, you here? When I saw that you were asking for co-hosts, I thought, well, that would be fun. Um, I, by day, I joke that I'm a realtor with a, um, I run a, a team in Northern Virginia. And then I also um, have amassed a pretty cool real estate network that's nationwide 
that really brings together the realtors who are in it for the right reasons, which is to help clients be more educated about the home ownership process um, instead of just their commissions. Because I think that's something that our industry kind of gets a bad rap for. Um, and then I also am a community steward of a really cool thing called I Am A Triangle, which is an international um, place. We call it a home um, for a global community that is on the move. Um, and so that is, that's the other thing that I do. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit about me. You're a mom of three. Can you tell us the ages, who are the children, what are they up to and how are you still a- awake right now? I- <laughs> so, <laughs> Maybe because you don't have any babies and infants. That, that is, yes, that's a huge thing. Everybody and, sleeping through the night in your house. Everybody sleeps through the night and we're actually at the point now where they get up on their own alarm clocks in the morning for school, which is huge. It's like, it's everything when that, when you get to that stage. So our daughter Mia is 11. She is um, an avid ASL, American Sign Language freak. Um, she studies it constantly, and it's part of her big life goals. Um, our middle son Antonio is almost 14, and he is the wickedest. Um, oh gosh, I can't even think of what you call it. Uh, like animation guy. I don't even know what that's called, but he's on his computer making beautiful things. Um, and then our oldest Taryn is 22 and he is currently in aviation maintenance school. I love that. Wow. Proud mama. Well, and it's so funny. Like you asked, it's, it's really about, I don't have babies anymore. Um, they're able to do their own thing, get their own lunches packed. And that's a beautiful thing. I look forward to that day. You will get there. But at the same time, everyone says really embrace and enjoy every life, every stage, every year is, is incredible in its own way. And it's amazing to watch human beings grow and become thoughtful, interesting people. It is. But it's also, I think people say a lot that what you just said, to enjoy every moment and spend the most time you can with them. But there's also, I think, some truth to parenting does have different phases that are more complicated and challenging than others. And infancy and toddler stages are definitely difficult. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because you can't rationalize with no. them, you know. <laughs> yeah, the communicate the conversation is a little one-sided. Yes. Well, uh one more question about you and um the podcast and then we'll get to the questions, but I I want to start asking my co-hosts who are listeners, what is it that you like about the show? What's something that you wish it included that it does not? Any any criticism, tips, constructive feedback? I'm open to all of it. But now that you have the hot seat, I'd love to pick your brain. <laughs> well, you didn't prepare me for that. So um, I think the one thing that I really appreciate it is you get right into it. There's so many podcasts today that spend the first 15 minutes selling or talking about things that that aren't really the point of the reason that you have your listeners. And I think I really appreciate that you get right into it. You have guests that bring something unique to the table. Like it's not only about money. Like I loved when you had um, Michelle and I'm not going to remember her last name, the gal, the RV gal. Oh, right. The millionaire. Yes. I loved her episode. I love Nicole Moore's episode. I love when, when they bring like the bigger purpose of life into it instead of just money. So I really appreciate that. I don't have, I don't have criticism. You. You're doing a great job. Oh, well, uh, <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, I, I like hearing that some of these interviews uh, with people whom you've never heard of still bring something of tremendous value. It doesn't have to just be someone famous or someone um, that is no. like, quote unquote, you know, a celebrity, yeah. but like even the 
average person who's not doing average things. All my guests do tremendous work, uh, respectively, but you know, that maybe you're learning about them for the first time as well as learning their financial perspectives. I think that's true. And I think that probably is the bigger piece of what I was trying to say was that having, having the ability to be introduced to people that aren't on the normal circuit as podcast uh, hosts or guests is really kind of cool because you are getting um, a front seat introduction to people that you wouldn't otherwise know about. So yeah, that's super great. Well, I'm happy to hear it. All right. So thank you so much for being here again. Let's go to our questions. The first one is from Laura. It's a voicemail. Let's hear what she has to say and then we'll tackle it. Here we go. Take it, take it away, Laura. Hi, Farnoosh. We recently had a big hailstorm that caused us um, to have an insurance claim on our property. Um, luckily, insurance is paying for new roof and gutters and deck, um, all of it. Um, we are going to get the work done on the roof, um, but we were thinking since there's no structural damage to the deck, it's just cosmetic, that we would keep that money and pay off debt and then later down the road replace the deck um, when we have saved up enough cash for it. Um, what are your thoughts on not getting our deck replaced? All right. So Naomi, Laura is wondering, and maybe this dovetails a little bit of the work you do because it has to do with real estate and insurance. So she's going to be getting this lump sum of money, this basically like a insurance claim settlement, wondering whether she should pay off the debt or use it to re to redo the deck. I mean, my take is, Naomi, and tell me if you would agree, if the if the deck is not something that needs to be done imminently, I think that the debt takes precedence. Debt over deck. I agree. And I think, so one of her, to the point about can she spend it on whatever she wants, obviously you need to read your insurance policy, but generally speaking, receiving money from a result of an insurance claim, that's your money. Um, you can do with it what you want. There are some policies though, where the, um, money is given as a check. That's also to the mortgage company. So just be aware of that. If any of your listeners have that situation, that does get a little trickier because you'd have to give receipts, um, showing the work done. But for Laura, I say fix the roof that needs to be done and then pay off that debt hundred percent. All right. So good luck, Laura. And let us know if you have any other questions. All right, let's move on. Um, and Naomi, if you wouldn't mind taking the reins here and, and letting us know what is on Bo Young's mind. So Bo Young had a question about being young, living in New York City, having just moved there, and not having a lot of extra cash, but wanting to be social. And I have to tell you, it's been so long since I've been in any of those three categories that that's going to have to be something you aim for, right. Farnoosh. Well, I think I'm right there with you uh, a little bit. I mean, I, I I try to make an effort to get out, but it's so hard. But I did write a book on this topic, being someone who was living in New York City, still living in New York City, but in my 20s in New York, being um, slightly broke, in debt, working, but not making that much money, still wanting to have a life. Uh, you can read your so money, live rich, even when you're not. But just to take a few pages out of that book for you and share with you and the audience some of my takeaways. I mean, it's it's the first thing I think, Bo Young, to realize is like, 
when you're young and you don't have that much money and you're living in a fun fun and and expensive city like New York, it's very easy to get swept away. It's very easy to get drawn in, sucked in by the city, by the friends that you have who want to go out all the time. And it's all very tempting. But I think it's important, and I wish I had done this more consciously in my early 20s, was to really take a pause and evaluate what is really important to me and not so much like what seems exciting to others, what others are telling me to do, what I think I have to do because I'm in New York and I need to take advantage of the city. But surely you have, I mean, you're listening to this podcast, so I'm, I'm already assuming that you're ahead of the curve a little bit with your financial readiness and your desire to live a financially healthy life. So be selfish. I say this in the book in the best way possible. Like actually think about what is important to you and stick to those things. Um, prioritize them. Um, and so if it turns out that in the next year, you really want to save up to go to grad school or travel more, maybe get your own place, those things cost money and they should really take precedence over anything else. And sometimes when we identify those things that we really, really want that we want need, we want it so bad, we need it to be happy and be fulfilled, that it's easy then to say no to these other things like dinners out and going to this bar and going to this play. And certainly you can do those things still, but in moderation. And along the way, there are a lot of ways to save on entertainment and dining out in the city. I like to go to sites like, oh gosh, restaurants.com. There's Guilt City. There's, oh gosh, what is it that... uh, Nami, what's that site where you can, it's like a flash sale site? Groupon. Groupon. Yeah. My dogs are seriously annoying. <laughs> I, like I'm what, kind of, my, what kind of dogs do you have? I'm, we have three and I'm texting my kids going, put them outside. <laughs> oh, sorry. Three dogs and four, three kids, three dogs. Okay. <laughs> you're officially my Shiro. I'm, I don't know how you're doing this. And you're doing a podcast <laughs> with me. Um, yeah. So yeah, you know, look for free excursions. You can just literally type in free New York City um, activities. And sometimes you'll find some really fun things that are going on that are seasonal, like festivals and fairs, concerts that might be free. Um, sometimes your credit card or your bank will have affiliations with museums and other kinds of places that where you can get like a discounted entry f- ticket, or sometimes, sometimes some evenings are held free for for customers of a particular bank. So explore all these things. Um, it does You probably never have to pay full price for anything if you don't want to. And it may just mean going at a different time. It may mean waiting to find that deal. It may mean going in a group and getting a group discount. Um, so, so and, and the other third, thirdly, Boyang, I would say, really important, because again, peer pressure can be what kills us us financially in our 20s, we want to kind of keep up with our friends, is to not be shy or hesitant to tell your friends, your good friends, that, look, I'm trying to save money and I don't want to be a Debbie Downer. I don't want to, you know, be a buzzkill, but can we maybe this weekend look for things to do that are a little more budget friendly or take the lead. If this is something that you don't want to burden your friends with, be like, hey guys, I found a great... Um, concert in the park or movie in the park. Let's go. Let's like, you know, do a picnic. And then that's your Friday night and that's, you know, very little money spent. And so there, this may seem 
uncomfortable to tell your friends that you're trying to save, to bring up money with your friends, but please do. And I think that they will be receptive. The good friends, the the, the friends that really respect you will be receptive, hopefully. Um, and if they're not, then maybe that's something to consider in your in the friendship. But I think that you uh, being a 20-something in New York City trying to save, you're not alone. Plus, I, <laughs> so, don't you think also yeah. that if Bo Young does that, she she might have friends that wish someone would say that. Like the, It might be a really great conversation and they might all have a little bit of relief around yeah, super refreshing. Yeah. And I think very welcomed. So take the plunge and be the be the guy or the gal. I'm not sure if you're a female or male to say to your friends that, you know, I I want to save money. And maybe it means that we do more things together, but you know, indoors, potlucks, backyard parties, um, movie nights at someone's apartment. You know, the point is is to be social. And yes, you want to experience this, and you can do that. But let's try to mix in some of the some of the more affordable activities as well. So, good luck to you. I've been there. Uh, it can be done. And my book, uh, "You're So Money, Live Rich Even When You're Not," maybe some additional um, guidance for you. So, good luck. We have a question from Joe, and I want you again to read this for us, Naomi, and I think you might have some advice for him. Sure. So Joe wants to know, how do you teach your kids to invest? He asks, I feel if I tell my son to make an investment and it does not do well, I feel like I'll make him lose. So I think that's, I know. (laughs) My first thought was that that is so sweet. We don't know how old um, the son is, but I think that part of what he's saying, the don't tell him, um, I think that part of it is um, educating his son on how to make that choice for himself. Um, so that it takes off that pressure of, of being the one that forced it. Um, I just finished reading the book called opposite of spoiled by Ron Lieber, which is, have you read that? I have. And Ron's been a guest on the show talking about this book. He's a New York times writer for the money section. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm all for that book. There are a lot of great, I just actually just sent out an email about some great resources for parents who want to teach their kids how to learn about money, whether it's investing or saving more, there's a ton of ways to do it, yeah. but go ahead. Well, and JJ, you sent, I think in your email, JJ's book on the startup club, um, around kids and entrepreneurism. But I think that it's all about baby steps. And again, it depends on how old the child is. For us, when our kids were little, we started with um, savings and there was something called the money jar. And it literally helped them understand the difference between putting money aside for savings, putting money aside for spend and putting aside money for give. So for younger kids, I think that's where you start. I've heard someone say, and I don't remember who it was, that their grandmother taught them to invest on something that they enjoyed. And so it was McDonald's. Um, he bought stock in McDonald's. I don't remember who that was, but I, I, I like that concept. Instead of letting investment um, and how to get started scare you, pick the things that you spend your money on and then look at how you can invest in those things. Um, I don't know. What do you think? Well, just to chime in with you, David Bach was actually the one on the show who talked about his grandmother, Grandma Bach, talking about McDonald's yes. and stocks. And they were the story was they were eating at McDonald's and she said to him, David, there are two types of people in the world. There are the people who eat at McDonald's <laughs> and then there are those who invest in That's McDonald's right. <laughs> or own, own a piece of McDonald's. Um, and, and he was like, and that sort of started the conversation and it's something that he has talked about even to this day. So it definitely resonated with him. Another friend of mine, Susan Beecham, runs the company Money Savvy Generation Ooh. and she actually creates this 
wonderful award-winning piggy bank with four slots. So it teaches kids there's four slots for four different activities with your money. You can save, spend, donate, or invest. Love it. Love that there's an invest piece added because I think that's been missing. Yes. Yep. And, 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 you know, I think, um, Joe, if your child loses money on a stock that you've pretend invested in, that's good. I think that needs to happen at some point. You win some, you lose some. And then through that, you talk about how it's not your fault, but, you know, sometimes companies don't do as well as we hope. And so it's part of why we also need to not just buy one stock, but many different stocks to build and maybe this is too savvy of a word at this age, but a mixed or diversified portfolio. I may be getting too ahead of myself, but you know, I think that it's we can't always protect our kids. I think it's actually important for them to see both sides of of investing. I agree. And I also think that it's worth the lesson to talk about again, depending on the age of the child, maybe it's a CD or an Xbox game, or maybe it's a little pet shop. But what happens to the money that you invest in that product versus the money that you could potentially lose in a stock? And it's it the, the risk is actually in purchasing the product, not the stock. Um, and that might be something that a lesson that they could kind of identify with, you know, looking at um, that it's not really a loss. It's, it's a lesson um, and helps you be a right. smarter investor next time. And one thing I recently learned about financial literacy and age is that when you're young, it's really hard to, this is, the studies have been um, conclusive on this, that it's really difficult to just teach financial facts to a young person. It doesn't stick. It doesn't really resonate. Um, much like a lot of other things we learn along the way, you know, like, do you really remember all the details from history class or um, science class, same as with money. But what really makes any kind of literacy uh, impactful is to attach the education with action, right? So I think you brought that up kind of with the fact that, you know, it's not, it's something, yes, it's great to talk about stocks, but it's another to actually in, engage in a game or go to a store where for example, a retail outlet for one of those stocks or companies and actually explore it and kind of see like how it run, how it's run. And it becomes an experience attached to a lesson or a, a fact. And I think that's what will make for the best scenario and in, in really driving home any advice, any, any points that you want to make to your kid about money. So just keep that in mind. And um, I certainly will too, as my kids get older, they're a little too young right now to learn anything about money really. But my three-year-old, I do, when I take him to the grocery store, he does offer to, he does do the exchange. Oh, like he awesome. actually, I give him the money and he pays for that's it. Great. He doesn't know probably what he's doing, but he knows that there has to be some kind of <laughs> exchange. We don't just go to the store and get stuff for right, free. Right, right. Well, and it's it's also, we've had the experience too a couple of times where we paid for cash for groceries and our kids were astonished and they were like, why are you using money? And I realized it was because we normally use debit or credit card, you know, this piece of plastic. And so that was an important lesson also. <laughs> um, there yeah. needs to be a little bit more of a... a I don't know, a, a difference between or teaching our kids that money exists in different formats. So yeah, that's getting off track, but 
No, it's a good point. I think that there are advantages to using credit and teaching your kids about credit. That's a big part of our financial lives. But when they're really young, sometimes it's it's very intangible to like explain what a credit card is and does, but money they see it come and go. They see that there are bills and that it's finite and when it's gone, it's a physical thing. It's much more physical and um I think can better help parents when they're trying to explain to their kids, well, we don't have money left for a toy now because we just bought groceries or whatever, whatever you're trying to uh, explain. So anyway, thanks for your question, Joe. And I I feel like your kid's going to be okay because you're the kind of parent who's actually caring enough to write in a question about this and let us know um, how things, how things end up. Okay. Jessica says that, um, She's actually following up on something that I said in a previous episode, which is that she says you you shared you were able to purchase your first home with the help from your parents and working a few systems. Can you please reshare more from this story and how you did it? So Naomi, do you know anything about my little strategy of how I bought my I first studio? I haven't heard that actually, so I'm going to be interested to know. You would be interested, yeah, right? Totally. Being that you're the real estate expert. Totally. Uh, so I was, it was this, okay. So this is circa 2003, four. And I've been in New York city for about a couple of years. My father is telling me that I should buy a place and I'm, my dad doesn't live. My parents don't live in New York. They don't know New York prices. (laughs) I'm yeah, that would be a great idea. Uh, but actually I am not qualified. I'm not, I don't make enough money. I don't have enough savings. I'm 20 something years old. I'm not even in the right headspace, I think, to become a homeowner. So this was also, let's also give the context for when, what was happening in 2003, 2004. Everyone and their dog was getting a mortgage. Okay. Um, that was just the sad truth. And my parents, I think while they weren't big investors in say like the stock market, they are not entrepreneurs, they are very risk tolerant of real estate. Mm. Very risk tolerant. I think that has something to say. I think like our culture is just like that. Having talked to other Iranians and kids growing up in Iranian households, real estate was a very buzzy, hot topic and no one ever shied from it. It was always, um, yeah, it was just always something that was um, of interest and curiosity. So anyway, just another bit of context for you. So I'm 23, 24, looking at places to find my own place because I'm living with a married couple... (laughs) paying very low rent uh, in this rent-controlled, beautiful apartment, but obviously my time there is limited. (laughs) And I need to find my own place. And rent, I mean, you get like a shoebox for, at the time, it was like, if I I wanted to live on my own, I'd have to spend like, just, I wouldn't be able to afford it. Um, I'd have to probably move out of the city. Finding roommates was also challenging. So I said, okay, let me just see what's out there to buy. Because my parents thought this was the strategy. My dad said, look, we have acquired a lot of equity in our home. What if you, um, you know, the idea at the time was, let me just apply for a mortgage. My parents would lend me the money from a down payment rather using their home equity so that I could make a purchase of like at least a studio, which with my salary, I probably could have afforded the monthly payments. My biggest weakness was the down payment because I was 23. I wasn't going to come up with 20% um, of... That's kind of where you have to be a minimum of 20% in New York City. So finally found a place that was uh, 
the math was good. Um, I had good credit and I also was going to get this down payment loan for my parents. We were all ready to go. All of a sudden, we actually made an offer. All of a sudden, we find out that um, uh, the mortgage company just wasn't going to give us the mortgage because for some reason, like they didn't do New York condo loans or whatever. It was not a New York state bank, yeah. whatever. They were a little hesitant. So at the last minute, you know, if we didn't go through with these plans, we would have lost. I think we would have had to pay a penalty because at this point we'd made the offer, time had gone by, and the owner, we there was something we were going to lose our um, deposit. So my dad was like, let me just take out, um, like I think he had about 400000 in equity in his home. So he took all of it out and paid for the apartment in cash. Oh, wow. The, the, yeah, the place was like three ninety five thousand, and um, immediately, like the day after we closed, we went to Washington Mutual. Remember that bank? <laughs> it doesn't exist anymore for 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 good reason because of the story I'm about to tell you. Um, literally walked into Washington Mutual. I showed my license. I showed my deed. I showed. Wow. I don't even know what else. A bank. I showed like an address, of like a proof of ownership of my home. Um, and they gave me basically a 90% HELOC wow. <laughs> for this apartment. So I basically then um, took that money, gave it back to my dad. And then that, oh my gosh. <laughs> and then that became that my mortgage. mortgage. And then a year later, I refinanced that into a fixed rate mortgage 30 year fixed rate because it was a fluctuate it was like a interest only loan which was you know at the time okay but i knew that that was only going to be uh more expensive as the years went on rates were going up so i refinanced it to a 30 year fixed rate loan about a year later and you know was paying like 1200 a month which is which was totally doable for me and i owned a home and my parents were paid back that's amazing more or less yeah, so that was my story. Now, I realize super lucky, right? I had a parent who had money in their home who was willing to cash out basically and take the risk because there could have been the risk that we would have gone into a bank and they would have said, "Sorry, we can't give you a HELOC." And my parents would have essentially essentially become my landlords at that time, which probably wouldn't have been a bad investment for right. them. But um at least they were able to, you know, uh get move on with their lives a little faster. And and that was my story. I don't think that story could happen again. I hope it doesn't happen right, again. Right. But we didn't know any. We didn't know what what we were doing was necessarily a a risk for the bank. You know, the banks were willing to take us on. So we were like, okay, here we go. And and I could make the payments. And I was smart enough to refinance it a year later and, and lock in the the rate because a lot of people got these very attractive loans during that time frame with interest only or you know five year arm seven year arm and then of course uh were unable to make their payments eventually and lost their homes in the recession yeah 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 what do you think i think that's pretty awesome i think is that so money or is that kind of shady? No, I think that you used the what was given to you. It wasn't like you guys w- went around the system. The system was there and willing to do it. So I'm all for using the system. Um, I think that it's, like you said, it's probably not something that someone's going to be able to do the same thing now. But 
one of the things that you said was so important that you can have gifted money for a down payment. You need to make sure that you do it in the right timing because it has to be um, a certain number of days before closing, but that's one way um, that that can happen. There's also a ton of first time home buyer um, benefits out there in terms of grants, um, in terms of different programs that allow um, little to no money down. If that's the main concern is the down payment, um, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac have programs that are, are very low percentages down. If you're in an area that has USDA, um, that's 100% um, funding. So there's no there's uh, no down payment needed. And then, of course, if you um, are eligible for VA benefits, then that's another um, great opportunity. But practically speaking as well, if you have an IRA, um, you can, I believe it's $10,000 that you can borrow from your IRA penalty-free um, which can be a nice chunk towards a down payment as well. That's from your traditional IRA or your a Roth IRA? I know with a Roth, you can take money that you've put in, you can take it out penalty-free, I think after a five-year period. Well, you know, that's um, actually Penalty-free. I'm not sure about the traditional IRA. Yeah, I'm not sure either. I just know that for the purchase of a home, um, there's a certain amount that you can take out penalty-free. But I don't know if you're correct. Um, I don't know the answer to that on traditional versus... Um, Roth. Well, something to look into. So, but that's great advice. All of that is good. You know, as a first-time buyer, there are a lot of resources reserved for first-time buyers in New York City. They're just not as uh, it's just harder here because people are coming in with all cash offers and real estate moves pretty quickly here. So you have to be really ready, have all your ducks in a row. Um, but it doesn't mean it can't be done. Well, and I'm an example. And that's of that. actually, and my sister lives in uh, New York City, and she had that exact same problem where every time they would find something, an investor would scoop in, swoop in, and um, pay cash for it. And they, I mean, that was like within hours of it going on the market. Um, so one thing that she did was she found a really great realtor who had an ear on the ground, and he found a beautiful brownstone for them that was very much pre market, and they were able to land it. So you have to be savvy. I definitely definitely the case with New York real estate. Thanks for that advice. Okay. Annie, last but not least, has a question about travel. And I understand you, Naomi, went all over this summer. You're a big traveling family. We are. And it's funny. We used to live overseas. We lived in India and Singapore and we have itchy feet. So we have to make an intention to travel um, for sure so that we can stave off the bug of wanting to, to be back overseas again. So Annie, can I go ahead and read her question? Yes, please okay, do. So Annie says she wants to know when people travel for vacation, how much should you budget for eating out and miscellaneous expenses? She asks, I always travel and say I'm going to spend $150 on eating out for myself for five days, but then I go overboard and I end up spending more like two or 300. What's a reasonable budget when you travel for one person plus maybe if you treat your relatives to one night? That's a really tough question. I have a lot of ideas around, you know, how to make your dining out experiences relatively affordable when you're traveling and just your overall food budget more affordable. I don't know if there's like Naomi a percentage that I would attach to it or a specific dollar amount. I think that for everyone it's going to be different and I think, yeah, if you go in strictly saying it has to just be $150, it's easy to feel limited by that. I'd say first, rather than start with the dollar amount that you want to spend or budget, research the town, the area that you're going to, Annie, and and look at 
some of the great food experiences that you may potentially be able to have there. I remember when we went to Paris with my husband and my mom and dad and my brother, we did a lot of um, cooking at home or not cooking, but you know, preparing our meals at home. A couple of times we would go out to eat and then um, it wasn't always fancy dinners. We would try to find like the best falafel shack or the best place to get a cupcake. So identify what these maybe five, six, seven experiences, if you're going for the week or two weeks, you know, maybe there are uh, multiple experiences around food that you want to have. It could be going to a restaurant and sitting down having a, a long five, six course meal, or it could be just going to a kind of interesting part of town and getting a burger or some fries or like, you know, an interesting um, cocktail and figuring out what that may cost you, add it up and see where the total lands. And if you're comfortable with that, then let that be your compass to experiencing food in this area. And then everything else, you know, you, you really, you save on by preparing your meals. You know, I find that sometimes combining meals is helpful. Like if you wake up a little bit late one morning, have a, have a early lunch and just call it, you know, brunch (laughs) or, right. Or make brunch and lunch your more significant meal, like stock up on, right. You know, because then, because dinner usually is more expensive. Yeah, totally. I totally agree. And dinner usually is more expensive. So if you've identified the places you want to go, go there for lunch instead. And I think the other thing too, you were mentioning, if you get up late, that's probably what a lot of people do on vacation or on home. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Some people like to get up early and like I don't know, I know. crazy people. We did two trips this year and one, we were go, go, go all the time and had alarms set. And the other one we slept in until lunch. Um, but one thing we always do is we hit the market, the local um, grocery store right when we get there and we stock up on nuts and fruit and, you know, granola bars. Cause those are the things that you can keep with you as you tour around the city. And instead of going in for a big sit down meal, maybe all you need is just something small to tide you over. So that's another way to save money. Yes. And make sure you go to the grocery store that the locals shop at and not the one that's, you know, in the touristy part of wherever you're staying. Um, I, I also have found uh, in, in doing a bunch of articles on vacation savings, and I just did someone one for actually Oprah.com. You can check it out. But there are, Naomi, some ways to hook up with locals when you travel, people who live there all year round, who can be not just tour guides, but maybe um, they would invite you to their homes to have a very you know, traditional experience, traditional meal, and meet other people who are from there and really kind of immerse yourself in that culture. And uh, Have you heard of this? Well, so I know of two. Um, one oh. is um, eatfeastly.com. Eat Feastly? Um, Eat Feast. Yeah, it's the weirdest name, really. Um, And then the other one is Eat With. Um, They're not in every city, but definitely worth checking out because I think that would be super cool. Um, I mean, what a way to really immerse yourself in your travel experience. Yeah. Eat Feastly seems to be very much a US-based thing. Um, But when you land anywhere, whether it's Europe or Africa or Middle East, like um, it's always helpful to have to know maybe someone or or through your friend connections, like, do you know someone who lives in this part of the country, the world? I'm going there, would love to meet them and just have them maybe for a day, be your tour guide, you know, and really get you to go to some of these off the beaten path restaurants and eateries that uh, are are more affordable and by the way, more of an authentic experience. Well, and and that that, goes along with another thing that we do as a family. We always make sure that we – we go at least two or three streets in 
away from the tourist areas. Because like you said, not only is it cheaper, but you're going to get a more authentic, real experience and much better food. Yeah. So, you know, read the reviews online. I think that um, TripAdvisor is great for getting a lot of feedback from travelers as far as where to go, what to avoid, um, Yelp as well. But I really like TripAdvisor because sometimes depending on where you're going, you can find a lot of different stories and anecdotes and tips. Um, so make sure you do a little bit of online online research before you venture anywhere. And, um, and that I think way that's... That- that's probably the best tip for Annie because she was asking really what's the reasonable budget. But like you said, it's not something anyone can dictate for someone else. But when you, if you're looking ahead of time to make those plans, then that helps you, I think, stay on whatever your budget is. Um, if you right. make reservations for a lunch at a certain place, that's, you know, you're going to be easier to prepare and plan. Yeah. Yeah. I think sometimes when we come up with some arbitrary figure, like $150 without really having done the research, without really having um, seen what is possible, because that could be fair, a fair budget, but um, you may, you may miss out on some of the experiences that would be really cool to have right. with that budget because you just didn't really do a little extra digging. Um, so good luck. So good luck, Annie. Hope you have a really fun and safe trip. And Naomi, thank you so much for joining me. This was so much fun and I learned a ton hanging yeah. out with you. It was really fun. I enjoyed it. Thank you. Have a great weekend and everyone hope your weekend is so money. 